0: Take your Bibles and turn over to Psalm 46. Psalm 46. How many of you know the first famous Martin Luther? (laughs) The first famous Martin Luther. Not Martin Luther the King, but Martin Luther of the Reformation. Martin Luther of the Reformation wrote the following words from a hymn in the middle of his struggle against the traditions of the Roman Catholic Church in the 1500s. These words were comforting words for Martin Luther as he faced the evil leaders of the Roman Catholic Church during his days. They, had, they hated anyone who sought to undermine the traditions of the Roman Catholic Church. But Luther knew from Scripture that faith alone and Christ alone was mankind's hope. And he stood firm against the evil practices of making salvation about what we do instead of what Christ has done. Martin Luther penned these famous words to a hymn, most of you have heard, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And they are based on this same psalm, Psalm 46, that we're going to be studying today. All right, so we have some, the, this is the first uh, chorus or the first stanza of the song that we've probably all heard. It says, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, a bulk word never failing. Bulk word there means a tower of defense. Our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing, for still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal. <coughs> Martin Luther, in these words, talk about the mighty fortress, the mighty tower that our God is, that we can run to him when we are in troubles, that we can run to him no matter what comes against us. Our God is our help in difficulties. Today we're going to look at this psalm so that we understand better the importance of God's gracious presence in our lives. Sometimes we fall into the trap of thinking that God is out there and he's not really a part of intimately in our personal lives. But that is not true of God. God is an intimately an intimate God, one who knows your concerns, knows what you are thinking, knows what you are worrying about. Everything he is intimately involved in. And so we take comfort in these words from Psalm 46. A little background on the psalm. This is a song of praise and trust to God. The main theme of the song is God's presence in our lives that God is with us in all circumstances. It's found in verse 1, 4, 5, 7 and 11. God's presence, he's always actively working within our lives and there for us. The song was given to to the lead musicians to be directed and the whole choir would sing. It wasn't just a solo. And the song was most likely made for female voices, as emphasized by one of the words at the beginning there in the introduction. There is some debate if there is a particular victory in mind, but and I'll use one of the choices. But either way, we know that God is our strong tower from this psalm. Notice the word Selah. We'll get to that. It's found in verse 3 seven, and eleven. That actually ends each section of the psalm. There's three sections in the psalm, and it ends with the word selah. The word selah most likely means stop, meditate, think on what you just heard. It would be like if I were singing a song and we did a chorus, and then in between there was a little musical interlude. The idea is is. When you're going in the Psalms and you hit the Selah, you should stop and think about the truths of what you just heard. Meditate on those truths. And that is probably what's in view here. This psalm is all about God's presence, as I mentioned, in the lives of his people. He is with them constantly. This is a major theme throughout the Old Testament and actually a New Testament concept, too. Moses said in, Genesis, in Exodus rather 15, he said this, If your presence, Lord, does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. In other words, I don't want to go into the land. I don't want to leave this spot. Unless, God, you're with me. The understanding that God is with us is a concept that's throughout the Old Testament. Then God even tells Joshua, and Joshua 1.9, he says this to Joshua before they're going into the promised land. He says, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord, Yahweh, your God, is with you wherever you go. This is so, so very crucial. It's repeated throughout the Old Testament. And then repeat it again in the New Testament. I want to give one warning here. This does not mean that God leaves and comes back and leaves and comes back. It's more of an awareness of his presence that he's always there. For the unbeliever, he is still there. He's watching in, in, in sovereign control of all events. But the unbeliever does not recognize that he's there. And the unbeliever does not trust that he is there the unbeliever is constantly trusting in themselves and so Paul calls in Acts 17 for the unbeliever to turn and trust in Christ and know that he is there and he will forgive you and he will guide you and he will be your Lord but for the believer we have this understanding that he is always with us in the New Testament the Lord's gracious presence is just as much emphasized. We live in a sin-filled world, don't we? There's the curse, and there's effects of the curse everywhere you look. We need to know that God's presence is with us all the time, that he's here. In fact, apart from God, we can actively do nothing of any good, can we? First John or John rather Jesus is talking, he said these words I am the vine, you are the branches, he who abides in me, the one who is dwelling in Christ, and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. God's presence in our life is crucial. His under our understanding of his presence in our life his life is crucial. So there's three main sections to this psalm. First, there's the introduction to God's gracious presence, the illustration of God's gracious presence and the instruction to trust in God's gracious presence. Let's read the Psalm. For the choir director, a psalm of the sons of Korah set to Alamath. a song. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change and though the mountains slip into the heart of the seas. Though its waters roar in foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations made an uproar. The kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice. The earth melted away. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Selah. Come. Behold the works of the Lord. Who has wrought desolation in the world and the earth. He makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. Cease striving and know that I am God. and I will be exalted among the nations. And I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Selah. So we see in this psalm. That the Lord is graciously with his own. He is an ever-present, gracious help to his people. First notice in verses 1 through 3, the introduction to God's gracious presence. In those first three verses, we see kind of an overview of what God's presence is all about in the believer's life. First, there's an opening profession of faith. In God, in verse 1, he says, God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. The opening profession of faith in God is that I trust that God is my power. He says God is our refuge, our strength. God was Israel's refuge, their shelter from danger, a tower of protection. When we think of a tower, we think of what? High walls, right? Big walls. Strong defenses. This idea that nothing can penetrate the protection of the tower, right? That's what God's saying here. And that's what his word is calling, and the choir director is singing about. God is our one that we can go into and be protected from all of these things. It's not that God is literally a tower, right? But that that he is the place to find protection and shelter. You're not going to find it anywhere else in this world but in the true strong tower, the refuge, the strength. God was Israel's strength, the power behind all their vic- victories. Get this, and it's so important. It blows me away when you study the Old Testament and you see how God does these amazing victories, and then the children of Israel say, I think I'll serve Baal. What? Why would you do that? Why does it draw does it make you shake your head as you read the Old Testament? What are you doing? This is the one that the strength and the power was on display, and all those ten plagues in Egypt. He parts the Red Sea, and what is the first thing they do when Moses delays a little bit? Make a golden calf. What are you doing? Why? Because our hearts are prone to turn away for the strong power. We need to be reminded that our refuge and our strength and our hope, our ever-present help, is not found in ourselves, in our mind-made gods. It's found in the God of the Bible. He is the only way. He is our refuge and strength. You know, there are times in my life when struggles happen. Where I actually praise the Lord for struggles and trials. This week was one of them. You know why? Because I had nowhere to turn. It was as if this is going to be an impossible circumstance that you are going through. You can't do it. And it is a great place to be. You know why? Because it's at this time where God shows that he is that refuge and strength. He is that tower where we can run to. He is that one that's our ever-present hope. Do you know him? Do you understand that he is your only hope and he is a very present help in trouble? The faithful Israelite understood this. The faithful Israelite, follower of Yahweh God always knew to run to him they were never left as orphans they were loved by their God and cared for by him he was their refuge in a very similar way it's the same way with us folks this is more verses it just came to my mind all week again 2nd Corinthians twelve nine. this is New Testament concept too And he said to Paul, God said to Paul, the Lord said to Paul, My grace, my unmerited favor is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Strength is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, Paul says, I will rather boast about my weakness. Why? So that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Where are you, folks? What is your trial? What are the things you're going through? Many of you, I know I look out and I, I'm seeing you, and I know you got struggles. I know you got trials. I heard about them this week. Where do you go? What is the situation that may seem impossible to you? I've got good news. Really good news. We have a strength, we have a tower. And we should confess him and profess him to be our way. Next, notice the general example of, an, of how bad it can get or how rough it would be. In verses 2 and 3, it says, What is the root of their confidence, the resulting confidence in God, even though? Therefore, we will not fear. <laughs> we won't fear. How bad could it get? Though the earth should change and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea and though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. sailor, This is the resulting confidence in God. The psalmist has confidence and no fear even if the earth should shake. Though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, this could be a reference to a huge earthquake that causes maybe a tsunami or maybe even a reference to a a volcano erupting and the mountain quaking and causing a major natural catastrophe. Specifically, what the psalmist has in mind, it's hard to determine. But the fact is that he has a huge catastrophic event in his mind. And the psalmist says, no matter how bad the world gets, no matter how even the world itself starts to be turned upside down, I will not fear. That's confidence in God, isn't it? Now, I want you to take for just a second, if all of a sudden a gigantic earthquake started rattling the room, what would happen? What would go through your mind? If all the world started shaking and you heard sirens going off, that a tsunami was coming. What would your mind go? Where would your mind go? What the psalmist says is no matter how bad it gets, no matter how catastrophe, no matter how much catastrophe comes, even natural disaster, it doesn't matter. I will not fear because I know my refuge. You know, I was thinking about this this morning. You know our problem? It's not the big things, though. It's often the little things. It's those little things that come into our life and we start worrying about it. And getting angst over little things. Like, well, how am I going to pay this bill this week? or how am i going to get this thing done in time because i got this other person wanting something those little things that we start angsting over how can we say a natural disaster i will not fear but then the little things just absolutely destroy us the answer is because we're not focused on our refuge in our god we're not thinking A mighty fortress is our God. We're not thinking that. But we must think these things. That's why the Psalms are there to remind us, go to your God. Have confidence in him. I think we need to think on these things. What in our lives causes panic or fear? If it happened to you, what would you do? Or panic or fear? What are those things you know them? What will bring us to tremble and cry? What are the things that cause us to despair in this life? You've got them. Everybody in this room has them. I know you do. What is the answer? God gives it to us. Our mighty fortress, our strength our ever-present help. We will not fear because he is God. The answer to all our fears is our refuge and strength, our ever-present help. There is no trial bigger than our God's power. Isn't that great? Nothing is bigger than our God. He can handle it. No matter how small or how large, God is big. But we're so much like the disciples. One of our observations this week from class was this passage in Matthew eight twenty four, in the parallel account in Mark. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being covered with waves. But Jesus himself was asleep in the boat. Y'all have heard the story, right? Jesus is asleep. The disciples are in the boat. Waves start coming. And I'm intrigued. And they came to him and woke up the God-man, Jesus, and said to him, Save us, Lord. We are perishing. I'm fairly sure I would have been one of them screaming. Okay, 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 save us. What's their focus on? Think about this. If they would have had their attention in the right direction, what should they have done? They should have been calm. They should have slept. I mean, the master's sleeping. Do they have anything to worry about? No. They should have curled up right next to him and fell asleep. But their attention was not on the master. Their attention was on the waves. Not on the refuge, but on the deluge. And Jesus said to them, Why are you afraid, you men of little faith? (laughs) Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the seas, and it became perfectly calm. (laughs) Wow, I would love to have been there, wouldn't you? The problem is, is I'm there often, And oh, too many times do I scream, Where are you? How am I going to do this? This is too big of a task before me. And poor people like Omar get to hear me cry to him on Facebook on Friday night. Pray for me, pray for me. And thankfully he does pray for me and calls all of you to pray for me. God is our refuge and our strength never ever-present help. The alligators are big. But he's always there. Isn't that good news? Next we see another illustration of God's pre- gracious presence in verse 4. And it kind of brings to mind Martin Luther's Second verse, did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Dusk, ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord, Sabaoth, his name. That is, Lord of the armies, from age to age, the same And he must win the battle. Praise God. He's our Lord. He is the Lord of the armies. We see it in verse 4 to 7, the illustration of God's gracious presence. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The holy dwelling places of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. This is probably referencing Jerusalem, the city of God back in the day. Jerusalem had one river and a stream that ran off that river. And that stream was very, very crucial to Jerusalem. If you look at the map, this is Jerusalem. I don't know if you can tell, but it kind of goes up on a hill. At one point in history, The armies of the Assyrians had come and Sennacherib had circled them and he was going to destroy them. And along the way, there's this river, this little, little, little river. It's actually a stream that runs down along it. It says Hezekiah's aqueduct. It's a way for them to get water. And the water ran down to the pool of Siloam. Now, why is this so important? This is huge. What would happen in the ancient day if the armies would come in and surround a big city like this that was up on a hill? It's a great place to be fortified, right? But the problem was if they could cut off the water, the city was dead. Do you understand? Because eventually they couldn't get anything. They would die. They had to have water. But God in his providence had given them one little stream of water. It was a gracious provision of God to this hill city. And so whenever the Israelites thought on Jerusalem, they thought, Oh, but there's a stream of water that provides all that we need, even though we don't deserve it. God provides This is most likely the stream that's in the mind of the psalmist as he says, Make glad the city of God. There's this gracious provision of water for the city. But it's also a beautiful picture for all of us. It's a picture of God's provision for his own. He loves us. He graciously provides for us. Not because we deserve it. Not because we are Sitting up on this hill and some special people in and of ourselves is because of God's grace. And we have a happy place, a joyful place. And that is God's gracious provision for us. Not only are there tangible geographic blessings in view here. Even you've got the idea of the nations that surrounded this city. See, this is the... Aqueduct and so they could get some water up to the main part of the city. In verse 6 it says, The nations made an uproar and the kingdoms tottered. But in effect, God raised his voice and the earth melted. Even when the huge armies came up against them, God only had to speak and their world would melt away. The psalmist, again, is probably thinking on Sennacherib coming up against Jerusalem at one point. God in the past had demonstrated his glory towards Jerusalem by protecting them here. You want to read an amazing story, you ought to read it. Read it. 2 Kings 18 and 19. Maybe something for you to study with your kids this week. 2 Kings 18 and 19. Look what happened. Here's the conclusion. In second kings 1935 then it happened that night that the angel of the lord went out and struck 185,000 in the camp of the assyrians and when men rose early in the morning behold all of them were dead you know what that is that's victory <laughs> that's a strong tower That's God in the midst of his people protecting his people. 185,000 men die in one night by one angel. Now, do you understand what that means, folks? How many angels are there? Myriads of myriads. That's thousands times thousands. Millions. And God is described in this psalm as the Lord of the armies. What does that mean? One angel, one angel killed 185,000 men in one night. One. And yet God is the Lord, the sovereign judge of all things. And the armies are included. He is Lord of the armies. Is there anything in your life that God can't handle? Nothing. Nothing. The Lord of the armies is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. It's great news, isn't it? God is the sovereign over the armies of heaven. That means millions of angels at any moment in a second, He can call on and all of them will take care of anything that needs to be done. God is God. And it's interesting that he is the God of Jacob. The God who made a covenant with a wicked man named Jacob. Who redeemed that wicked man and made him right. He is after all the sovereign of all the armies, and a covenant-keeping God. So we sing with Martin Luther, and though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, His doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. We think of Satan. We think of the enemies. We think of all this is coming against us. God, all he has to do is speak. Done. Do you understand? Nothing is too big for God. Finally, we see in verses 8 to 11, the instruction to trust. In God's gracious presence. Notice. Because we know the Lord is sovereign over the armies of heaven. And that he is the strong and mighty tower for his own. We must do two things. Two requirements. Two commands. That we must do in light of difficult circumstances. First. We must contemplate what God is able to do. Notice in verse 8. It says, come, behold, that is literally, look, the works of the Lord. So in other words, what's he doing? It's a command. Come, come on in, look now, pay attention, meditate, think on what God has done. Look what God has done. Who has wrought desolation in the earth. He makes wars to stop to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. God stops things. No problem. It's nothing for him. So the natural question for some of you might be, Well, I can see breaking a spear or breaking a bow, but what about a tank? What about a nuclear weapon? Ladies and gentlemen, God, if he can break a bow, if he can break a spear, being not seen, you don't see God, but he can break it, then that means he can break anything. And on top of that, what? He made it all. If he speaks it all into existence, don't you think that God can take care of all the weapons and all the evil? No problem. Absolutely nothing is too big for our God. He destroys it. He puts an end. He raises up kings. He puts down kings. He is God. This is a call for all of us to meditate on these truths. Remind our hearts, oh, God, help me remember this, that you are God and you win. This includes our spiritual enemies, folks. So we come to him and we trust in his power and his authority. And we must contemplate, think on who we serve and trust in him. Then he will sustain us in times of trial. Now, I do have a question for you. Does this mean that you're not going to suffer any physical harm? No, that's not what that means. Does this mean that Things aren't going to get tough. No, that's not what it means. It means that God will sustain us through the circumstances that we have because he is always there. He's an ever-present help. There are times when he does rescue us from trial. There are times when he does rescue us from physical health problems. But ultimately, this is not our home. So even if we die, we are ultimately rescued to be with him for eternity. Correct? So though they kill my body, I go to be with God forever. Rescued. Done. Eternity with him. Let's contemplate God. Think on him. Nothing's too big for God. Know who he is. And once you know who he is, you're ready for the second command. We must stop and rest in the knowledge of God. We must be still. Stop. Man, if there was ever a message for America, this is it, isn't it? (laughs) Stop. Stop moving. Stop thinking all this crazy stuff. Be still. Cease striving. And what? Know that I am God. It's interesting here. It's as if God does what? I'm going to speak directly into the psalm. Now the addresser is God himself. He speaks into the psalm. These are amazing words. of psalmist, I don't know how God did it, but God did it. (laughs) Perfect. God spoke through the psalmist. And directly, he says, cease striving or be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations and I will be exalted in the earth. God is saying, stop. Being obsessed with your circumstances. Did you hear that? That's it. Mark it down. Stop being self-focused and self-absorbed. Did you hear that? Be still. And it's not know that you are God. <laughs> and I know. That I know it doesn't say that, Mike. But every time we stop and we worry... We're doing that. <laughs> Do you get it? Did you hear that? When we stop and we get worried inside and we're still, but we're worrying, we are basically saying who's in control. <coughs> we are. When we worry, what are we saying? I want the reins. I want to figure this out, and I want to fix it. It's not... Be still and know that He is God. Is be still in our minds and think that we are God? That's wrong. It's not the command. The command is what: be still, stop striving, and know that He is God. <sighs> Knowledge again is crucial here, isn't it? Understanding what's going on in the mind, boy. How many of you would like to have your last week's thoughts recorded for everybody to see? <laughs> Can you imagine if all that showed up on these screens every Sunday morning? Do you think anybody? Do you think anybody would show up at church? <laughs> Be still and know my thoughts. There they are. Woo! No! I'm out of here. <laughs> what we are thinking. What we're meditating on determines how we act. It shows itself in what we do. So stop, hold still, and know that He is God. God's all about His glory, folks. God is all about His glory. And y'all might, some of you might say, well, that's awfully selfish of God. No, it's good of God to do that. For if God was not all about himself, he might exalt things that were less than him, and that would be horrible for us. To exalt God is all we find our joy in, folks. Do you understand that? God is about showing himself off, and that is a good thing. Because then we know him better and we can enjoy him more. God is the only one that can be jealous and self-exalting and it'd be a good thing. The only one because he is God. And I will, he says, be exalted among the nations. Why? Because it's best for his people. It's best for his people. And it's not idolatry. It's a good thing. These are some good things for you to think on. Meditate on these truths. Here's God stepping up saying, Be still and know that I am God. And I will be exalted among the nations. And I will be exalted on the earth. If I stood up and said that to you. Everybody should run out of the room. <laughs> Do you understand? If I said, "Me, Mike, be still and know that Mike's in control," if I said that, run, go to another church, fire me quick. That's problem. Okay. I will be exalted among Tampa. No, unfortunately, we live. Often preachers have that aurora, don't they? It's about the preacher? No, it isn't. I won't tell you one of my pet peeves. By God's grace, we will never, ever, ever have my name on a sign. Ever. Won't be there. Sorry. If I do, if they do. I beg you, I beg you, revolt, <laughs> revolt because God says be still and know that he is God and he will be exalted among the nations. He is the Lord of hosts because God is the creator and the only true God. It is only right for him to be exalted among the nations And no matter what your circumstances are, listen closely. He's about doing that in your life. If you are a believer in Christ, it's a promise in Romans 8, 28 and 29. He predestined us to be to conform to the likeness of his son. Why? So his son will be exalted to the world. Why is God making me look like Jesus? So that God is exalted among the nations. Not so that Mike's exalted among the nations. Because guess what Mike can do? Nothing apart from God, apart from the Lamb. He is to be exalted in our lives. It's about Him. And so Martin Luther gets it, doesn't he? And so thus the choir ends. The psalm in worship, the Lord of the armies is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Think on these things. If God is with us, who can be against us? It's all the same. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also among, with him freely give us all things? Ladies and gentlemen, God has not changed. He's a God that graciously loves us. What a praise to him. So we sing with Martin Luther, the last song stands up. The word above all earthly powers, that word, that word of his final victory. No thanks to them, that is the world and the evil that's out there, abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him, Jesus, who is with us, sideth. He stepped in for us. Let us goods and kindred go. Now what in this world does this mean? Okay, Do you know what this means? You're listening closely. Here's the important thing for everybody to get. Let goods and kindred go this mortal life also. What is he saying? He's saying, look, all that you have in the world, all that you have, you just got to let go of it. It's not important, ultimately, in the light of God. Now, that's easier said than done, I would agree, right? Many of us say, well, my kindred, my family, they're very important to us, right? Yes, they are, but they're not as important as the main thing, and that's him. Let goods and kindred go, even your own life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Aren't these great words? Isn't this an awesome hymn? What do we have here? A beautiful example of the word of God penetrating the heart of a believer. And when it goes in and he meditates on it, no matter what his circumstances are, he says the right things. And he exalts the one who will be exalted among the nations. And that's what he did. I want to be like him, don't you? As God worked through him, I want God to work in me. How about you? There's another song I want to close with today. It's another song based on this same hymn. It's called Be Still My Soul. I'm going to flip over to that, Ben. Let's sing this song, and then we'll close in prayer. Y'all stand. And as you stand, what page is that on, Ben? Do you know? 347. 347. Let's sing this song also. It plays into the same exact concept. What do we need to do? We need to think on who God is, counsel our hearts to be still, and know that he is God. in our strength thank you for the reminder father help us to come to you to be still and know that you are god we trust you father you have shown yourself to be faithful now lord please work in us forgive us for doubt and help us to walk trusting in you through your son jesus christ our lord We pray this in his matchless name.